Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. All right. So welcome, everyone, to the first episode of What They Never Told Us. Sasha and I have been anticipating this day for so long as we've been planning and putting all of this wonderful content uh, together for you. Uh, We're so excited to share our journeys with you because as we've been putting this podcast together, we are realizing that we had a lot of miseducations. (laughs) We want to make sure you don't make the same mistakes uh, we do. So thank you for joining us. And I hope that you subscribe and keep listening to us every week because I'm sitting in a closet right now and I'm making (laughs) a lot of sacrifices for you. So... Yes. Well, it's for us, girls. Us. Not them just yet. No, it's for them. (laughs) Ultimately, it's for you guys. But the way we're going to do that um, is exploring our own identities. So we touch upon this in the intro. What we're going to be doing is speaking on our main identities, like being women, uh, what the other parts that make us us. And we're going to speak solely through our perspective so you can get to know us and understand why we feel this way about the world. Yeah, so the first few episodes, we're going to talk about being a Latina, being a New Yorker. Brooklyn, shout out to y'all. Let me stop. Oh, my God. (laughs) I I swear, no one gives respect to Queens. I just had a conversation with somebody. They were like, who goes to Queens? Do you know how many people live in Queens? Like, let me. And how many live? Y'all live. Yo, we like live and we rep Queens and we're proud of Queens and we love Queens. Like, yo, like you need to. Hop over whatever bridge you need to come over and get your butts to Queens because we have a lot to offer. Let me just say. So shout outs to Brooklyn <laughs> and Manhattan because I live in Manhattan now because Brooklyn got so hype that I can't even afford to live there anymore. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I guess we could start off with our check-in. Yes. Right now we're going to do a check-in. I was about to say, um, Crystal, how are you? How you doing? Uh, besides being a little too hype for our first episode, um, there's nothing wrong with that though. No, no, it's it's excitement for y'all, but no, I think right now what I'm noticing is I'm experiencing some transitions and some changes. Even just with this podcast, that's a transition. I've never you know done a podcast before. This is my first time. Just work things, personal life things. And it just does leave you feeling a little bit uneasy. I'm not going to lie. So I feel unsure of myself. I feel like I'm doubting uh, if I can trust my decisions. And even in my transitions, just in these transitions, I'm trying to learn to live in the ambiguity uh, and trust myself. Mm. So it's this constant, like, I don't trust myself because I'm in these transitions, but then it's part of the work that I'm doing is be okay in that ambiguity and give yourself grace and trust yourself. You've gotten up until this point in life. Uh, and that wasn't by accident. So still in this back and forth kind of place, but I know I'll figure it out. So I'm very hopeful. 
Yes. Um, and I don't think anything with you happens by accident. Like I didn't just accidentally become your friend, you know, like I chose to be your friend. So I think that you got this more than you think. It's interesting to me because like you're, I know what that feels like, this ambiguity. And I personally do not like to feel out of control. And right now, the way I'm feeling is I don't necessarily feel out of control with my emotions because I, you know, I have a good hold on them. But uh, I think I feel out of control with my body. So recently I started, not recently, I feel like this is a freaking ass long journey. I started birth control in May of 2020 and I recently got off and it's just so annoying. The hormones, the fluctuations, the ups and downs. You don't feel like yourself. You feel tired one day, you feel great the next, and then you feel all achy, like in the middle of the day that you thought you were going to be good. It's really frustrating. I am somebody who, like Crystal, does not like to live in the ambiguity. Again, I like control and I do not have control over what my body is experiencing right now. And it's extremely frustrating. Mm, yeah. Um, but... I will say that it relates to the topic of us, the part that we're going to speak on today so well, because guess who only needs to take birth control? Not men, but women. Oh, women. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to be talking about, the women, uh, what it is to be a woman, our experience of it, what it was like for us and how it has affected us in the way we show up in the world today as adult women. So I think, sad to say, the first thing for me that comes up is, um, and I know this is vain, and I hope nobody gets at me for this, but this is the reality of it. As I'm looking at myself on this Zoom camera, um, is my beauty, is women's beauty, right? Not just me as Sasha, but the reason I'm so hooked on this idea of beauty is because I am a woman. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think you need to be apologetic at all. I think when we first talked about doing this episode, that was literally the first thing that came into my mind. I think about back when I was growing up. So I'm Latina, I'm Dominicana. Shout out to all my Dominicans, platanos <laughs> up in the air. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, <laughs> but being a Latina and growing up in America, it was very, very conflicting because the Latina standards, the Latinx standards of beauty and the standards in America are so different. And it was such a conflict for me. Um, I feel like in the Latinx community, you have there's a very specific way that beauty looks and you need to be I think it's changed over the years but I'm thinking back to the to the 90s when I was growing up you needed to be slim but you needed to have a good set of hips some nice tits and uh mm. yeah like a nice little little waist which I do feel like is the standard now but back then American standards of beauty were very very different um back in the 90s and even up until the two early early 2000s the American standard of beauty was just a slim woman like you just needed to be skinny um I remember looking back at Victoria's Secret magazines and wanting to be that skinny but then my grandmother or just the other woman in my family would be like, you're too skinny. I'd gain a little bit of weight. You're too fat. And then I'm looking at these magazines and they're all, you know, even as skinny as I got, I was never as skinny as them. So it was always such a conflict for me. I could never figure out what the standard of beauty was. <sighs> well, at least you were skinny. Uh <laughs> 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 so, oh, you know, 
drum roll, please. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I was not skinny when I was little. I actually was overweight in a very, very, I would say, pivotal developmental phase. I was overweight from like 10 to 14, 15. And, you know, just let, let's not even talk about beauty standards at this current moment as adult women, but going all the way back to when you're like 10 and, you know, you go into the fitting room and you realize you don't fit into regular you know, your peers' clothing, their sizes, and what that does to not just your sense of self, but your self-esteem as a as a female, right? Like, this is the standard for pretty at that time, right? Like, whatever it was, the whatever the fashion was, which I remember it was like bell bottoms and just like a lot of printed shirts and very tacky colors. Ooh, terrible uh, fashion. Well, my opinion. Yeah. Like Spice Girls, right? Um, but Oh, wait, hold and on. Then, We're not talking trash about the Spice Girls. I love no, the Spice No, no, no. This is true. But <laughs> I do think that it was really difficult for me to even see myself as any kind of positive mm. because already from a young age, we're taught to be pretty. We're taught to, you know, have like, remember those lip smackers in different yes. colors? And Yo, the different like I, Yes. And I remember like begging my mom to get them so that I would feel pretty the way I saw my mom as pretty because she always wore red lipstick. She always Mm -hmm. had like a certain sense of style. She always had red nails and I wasn't allowed to paint my nails. But like for me, these were the things that I strived. I strived to be at that at that point in time, Um, aside from my other like parts of life. But, you know, for beauty was definitely something that was on my mind constantly, along with doing good in school or doing chores at home. Um, and I don't know if that's healthy, to be quite honest with you, now looking back. Yeah, yeah. I think you bring up two points, but um, to stick with the beauty thing for a second, I will also say that I think that when it came to beauty, I remember feeling one way when I was inside my home and feeling something completely different when I left my home. So like at home, like, yes, I was struggling to figure out what the standard of beauty was. But then I remember, you know, the times that I did get compliments and stuff like that feeling very beautiful, right? Because my my sense of self and my sense of beauty was coming from other folks, right? Like what they were telling Mm -hmm. me. So I was always trying to live up to their standards. So the times that I did live up to their standards, when I made that magical weight um, where I was, you know, thin enough, but still had curves. And I'm thinking more around my early teens, um, like how you were describing like that 10 to 13. But I remember, you know, being beautiful when I was at home and then going outside. And it was really, it was a really different experience when I was thinking about men and like, how they were perceiving me because that was also a big factor in the in thinking about beauty because you wanted to be beautiful you wanted to be admired but then when you got admired by men literally twice your age three times your age so much older than you it was really really upsetting how sexualized I felt um and that was that was really conflicting for me I'm just going to stop you right there. Of course, it's conflicting because first of all, let me just say, grown-ass men should not be looking at young-ass girls. Um, that I have a serious issue with that. And I also had the same conflict growing up because I think that when <laughs> when you're little and, you know, you have beauty on your mind and you... you you know, beautiful means getting attention. Beautiful means boys liking you and commenting on your body, right? Like I remember one time when I was in the seventh grade and I was still overweight at this point, but I was like, I was coming down because I started hitting puberty. So my body started developing. 
But I remember one time, I'm not going to say his name, but I, I, yo, so clearly I remember this. He like, he started analyzing all the girls and we were just like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, we're looking to see who has the nicest ass. So yo, like we're in the seventh grade and it's so funny. Like then, you know. Exactly. And then you go home and you look in the mirror and you're like, are my jeans tight enough? Is my ass nice enough? Like, is do I even have an ass? Like, what does a nice ass look like when I don't have to like, I don't even know why we were worrying about these things. But this is the experience of being a female. Right. So I do want to say that I grew up in a predominantly uh, black and Latinx uh, neighborhood. And I think that affected the way I think it affected my beauty standards. I understand that there are different beauty standards in along cultural like lines, like different cultural lines. But for me, and I know like I just want to say that both Crystal said it earlier, both of us identify as Latina and the way it affected me, particularly being overweight and feeling like, how am I going to get skinny? But how am I not going to lose my butt? I was like, this is this is something that happened to me when I got older. And by the way, it still happens to me because I don't want to lose certain things that I find about myself that are beautiful. So this, it's not just when I was little and I realized, oh, beauty matter. This is an ongoing process for me. Like, I can wake up looking too thick because guess what? I have the kind of body where if I keep myself fit and if I keep up to date with myself, I look really, really good, but it can go downhill real fast. I I think that 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 brings a very good point about, you know, just a lot of what how we felt about ourselves was very external and was very much based on other people and what they thought about us. And that kind of brings me to the second point that I was thinking about earlier about um just kind of like when when I think about the standard of beauty and thinking about doing things for myself, I feel like I think back to a lot of growing up and it felt like a lot of the things that I had to do were based like because, of th- you know, this is what you have to do because you're a woman. Like you're supposed to look this way because you're Latina. You're supposed to be beautiful because that's what a woman's supposed to be. You're supposed to look this way because this is what men want from you. And I feel like I grew up always thinking about like, like, who do I have to be for other people? I'm just thinking about gender stereotypes and how that also heavily influenced how I, I walked in the world because I always wanted to be liked. And I thought if I fit mm. these gender stereotypes, people will like me. But I think that like, well, also like, you know, we've we've mentioned a, a couple of times we're Latinas. I feel like the gender stereotypes and the gender norms in the Latinx community for women are all sorts of out there. I think it, you, the same could be said for a lot of cultures when, when thinking about women. But yeah, I think just... Gender roles can suck it. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so first, I do want to address that the Latina, you know, beauty standard, at least when it comes to how it's mm. on social media and how it's televised, has become absolutely ridiculous, and it has become a standard that natural mm-hmm. bodies cannot uphold. Period. No matter how much you dance, like you work out, like I mean, you have to be really, really blessed on a genetic level. First of all. And I do want to bring it back to how we are always expecting ourselves to be validated. I don't think this is how you said it, but that's what I heard. Or we're always setting ourselves up to be validated by other people, mainly based on our looks. And what that does is if you think about how much energy we use occupying our time with 
looking pretty and looking this so we can get approval, like you said, what does that do to mm. the other priorities in our life? Like essentially we can't do all these things at once. It takes a back seat, right? So you become really good at something and then you become not as good in, in like, let's say, I don't know, I sucked at math my whole life, but maybe if I didn't spend all that time putting my gel in my hair in high school and I used that time to, <laughs> and I used that time to study harder, <laughs> right? maybe I'd be I, better. Yeah, I, I think that kind of um, is, is a difficult line to toe, you know, where do you put your priorities and what do you focus on? Um, I will say like when I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time. I and I had a eating disorder and I spent all my free time thinking about what I was putting in my body and stuff like that and I I became good at addition and subtraction cuz I was counting up calories, let me tell you. Um <laughs> But yeah, I remember becoming mm. so obsessive with it that you're right. It was hard to focus on on other things because that was where I was. And I feel like, you know, like the opposite can also be said um, sometimes. I think when you grow up, then you have to be good at everything because it's like, all right, like when you're a kid, you can kind of become obsessive with one thing and focus on one thing. But then when you're an adult, I think that also changes because now like you have to be beautiful. You have to be the great girlfriend. You have to be, you know, uh, kicking ass at work and all of like you, and you have to do all these things very seamlessly and you have to do all of these things, almost making it seem like it took no effort and you, you, you can't ask for help. Oh my God. Yes. I'm going to add one more because there is a huge distinction between beautiful and sexy, right? At least within the women, like the world of women. I, you know, how do you, oh my God, how do you transition from one to the other? And, you know, because kind of like I said, one takes priority over the other, whether we recognize it or not. And I think that, you know, it's so easy for females and I saw it, I did it, to get caught up in this idea of I have to be a certain way. So let me put my energy and time into that. And I'm not going to put my energy and time into other things. And it makes it really, really difficult growing up because I think that this is something that kind of like how we mentioned in the intro, this is something that was placed on us. I, I can't tell you that when I was younger, I was very happy and pleased to prioritize my my beauty because I don't know what that, I really don't think mm. I knew what the hell I was doing. Yeah, that makes sense. I was very thin. So I felt like I could do this. I could figure it out. Like I could do, I never, I don't think I ever got it right. But I was like, I can do this. I can figure it out. It definitely took some effort and took some work, but I, um, I think because I was thin, it didn't seem very far away from me, but I did, I do feel like I spent a lot of time worrying about it. And I spent a lot of time thinking about like, what are the boys thinking? Am I cute enough for the boys? Or, you know, like, what are the girls going to think? Like, are the other girls going to be jealous of me? Cause I have this, um, mm. body type. Is it too much? Do I look too slutty? Do how do I tone? How do I be sexy and beautiful enough? Like it's just a lot. And I think ultimately what we're speaking on is not just beauty standards in general, but from a very early age, we learned how to show up to, in this world according to what other people wanted us and you know expected us to show up. And what that does is it just kind of makes you 
I guess, automatically start to get into the habit of meeting other people's expectations and their standards of yourself without even thinking, like, did I, do I? Because I still have to go through this process, right? Did I and do I currently still want that yeah, for myself? I think that what what comes up for me when you say that is, like, I did get caught up in what other people thought that I, I got so caught up that I don't even think that I ever thought to to consider what I wanted or who I was or what that meant for, you know, like, who is Crystal? Um, and I, you know, um, because of the pandemic, because we've been home, like, I've been trying to, like, reevaluate who I am and trying to think back, like, is did I stumble upon this? Like, was this placed on me by other people? And, like, the expectations get so overwhelming and you try so hard to meet them and you spend so much energy trying to please other people and uh, reach those expectations that for me, I felt like I never thought about who I was or what did I want? And I feel like I didn't even set my own expectations for myself while I was trying to meet other people's expectations of me. Well, how could you? Because I mean, if you really think about it, it's not just beauty. I can't speak for other cultures, but I can definitely speak for my culture and how I grew up, even in my household. What are you taught from a really early age, right? Like not just how to be pretty, but you're taught how to maintain a home, how to cook, how to clean. And if you don't do it right, what do you hear from your mother? I mean, I can't, I know a lot of moms, Latina moms do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to say what my mom used to tell me. She used to be like, you got to learn how to do X, Y, and Z, because if you don't, how are you going to have a husband? How are you going to maintain your family? So already from there, okay, you got to be pretty. And then, okay, you also have to know how to maintain a house and, a, and, you know, cater to your husband because that's what the message is at the age of like six or seven. Yeah, I remember I started doing dishes like when I was 10 and I fucking hated that shit. Um, but I remember meeting these standards. I think like for me, it was very explicitly told because I remember when I was trying to learn how to cook, whenever I made something well like if I'm a terrible cook so the few times I made something well it was like ya te puede casar. now you can get married because it was like not you didn't need to learn to cook for you like similar to what you said you needed to learn to cook to maintain a household to for your husband like for your kids and for your family like and it wasn't even like this is a good skill for anyone to have just for independence and like you need to eat every day so yeah there there was that piece but I think it was also very subtle in other ways because I remember the times where I would see men um, and how they interacted in the household in comparison to the women, like my aunts and my mom. And it was like the men got to sit on the couch and they got their plates served to them. And, you know, like the women were responsible for all sorts of other other things. Like they had to cook, they had to clean, they had to take care of the kids. And yeah, I just felt like it, it did feel a bit oppressive to me, to be quite honest, because I was like, so like, I have to do all of these things and you get to like chill. And I've never wanted to be a man, but I was like, but I want to chill too. Like there, that looks cozy. Like you chilling, (laughs) you look comfortable. (laughs) That is so funny because I think, so going off of those like gender norms within the, the Latinx culture, I know that my mom definitely placed those things on me. And it was interesting because when I, like, for example, I learned how to clean an oven real early. I think I must have been like six. And I le- I was using Easy Off and I was scrubbing the toilets. The Easy Off will like literally like drastically change your life expectancy. Like it will reduce 
your life expectancy. That stuff <laughs> should be banned in all countries. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know, but guess what? That shit works. <laughs> that shit works. It is like, it is magic to clean a stove. And I learned that really, really on uh, early on. And guess what? I don't think my brother learned that because as I got all these heavy duty chores, you know, to quote unquote, teach me. And the expectancy was that Sasha was going to do more. My brother just like, oh, okay, vacuum and, you know, pick up the clothes and stuff. Like it was very minimal what he had to do compared to me. And I'm about four years younger than him. So that is absolutely insane. Talk about, you know, unfair uh, gender roles. And also, I remember it was so interesting because when I would resist and be like, well, he didn't get to do, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do that as compared to what I did. It was this weird thing where there was this sense of pride that I had to start like accepting as my own, which I don't think it's I should be proud about that at all because like, oh, now look what you can do. Now look what you can do. And it's like, well, how come he doesn't have to do those things? And eventually, like I did become very proud of myself for learning how to do many things and taking on heavy duty tasks. But yo, let me tell you that when I think about how that shit affected me, I mean, it really it still shows up because I never feel like I'm doing enough. No, I I agree. I, and I think that's also something that is placed on women, um, this feeling of not doing enough. But I was also thinking when you were speaking, because um, you're a lot more vocal than I am and you're one, you're someone who speaks up. And I think like as a woman, I was also taught to be meek and small and kind of just stay in your place and do what you have to do. So I just wanted to mention that because I think that also affected how I saw myself and how I grew up and what I thought my role in in the world was like you you're you cook you clean you maintain your household you have to be sexy for your husband and you stay small and you stay Mm. in your place and I think that that's carried itself a lot um and it's been very conflicting for me so you know like I also I love that you speak up about that but I think also just what you said about you know, like your brother and you being proud and things like that. I think that's a great way to kind of take ownership again as a woman of like, okay, like this was placed on me, but how do I own it and take it back? And how do I reframe um, this narrative for myself? I used to be able to do that and be like, well, at least I can do X, Y, and Z now. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and complain and be like, oh, I'm so mad that I'm independent. No, I'm not mad, obviously, because I'm, I'm really happy that I don't need anybody to get through this life. Because I, I think that <laughs> you either learn that lesson or you don't. And when you don't, you end up in a real bad spot because now you're depending on other people. However, I don't expect any less at this point in my life from anyone else, whether you are female or a male. I don't care what you think you should or should not be doing. If I can do it, so can you. I am not special. Um, So yes, I own it. And it's something that has helped me along the way, even though it was really hard. But I think everybody can own the same kind of uh, responsibility in learning how to do things for themselves, not for, you know, anybody else but themselves. Right. Something that I did want to speak on in regards to all these standards and these expectations is what happens as you get older and then you start wanting to be different things and that conflict inside with what you were taught and what was placed on you versus what you currently want at the moment starts to kind of rub against each other. So like, for example, you know, I know logically that I cannot show up as my best self every single day. This is something that I tell my friends, I tell clients, I tell whomever I I interact with. But guess what? The 
person in me who wants to valid like get validated by other people at this point wants to show up like a b c d check those like you know cross those off the list and if i don't i feel real crappy about myself yeah well i think the um you know like how we were saying about you have to meet everyone else's expectations so i think that when you finally feel like okay i didn't show up as my best self because you have whatever the hell else you have going on it absolutely makes sense that you're just like oh, I fell short. What are people going to think? I'm disappointing mm-hmm. people. And, you know, like, I know for me, what that leads to is anxiety. And I, my brain, as, you know, I'm Dominican, so I can talk real fast. My brain goes <laughs> real fast. Um, and my anxiety and my inner thoughts are so, so, they they cut my, the the voice inside my head and I will say I've I've gotten better as the years have gone on and I've learned a little bit more self-compassion but the anxiety that I experience and the inner monologue that goes in like you're so stupid you didn't do this you should have known better you you know like people are expecting x y and z and today you only gave x what are they gonna think you're gonna get fired and when I tell you that my mind spirals when I don't meet the expectations of people and it makes it just makes me feel like I'm never good enough and it always makes me feel bad and sometimes it just makes it hard to get up again the next day because now now I'm like I've had all this anxiety I've had all these negative thoughts I'm exhausted and now I have to Mm. get up the next day and do it again yeah thinking because you didn't meet those standards that you're a failure right so why should I fucking get up if I failed Right. When in reality, in going back to, you know, how we grew up in these experiences, it could be it's such a corrective experience to have somebody even now, like like your friend. Right. Like the relationship that Crystal and I have. But most importantly, back in the day when we were little and these Mm. things were happening, it's so essential and necessary for especially parents or just people around kids and especially little girls, for them to sit them down and say, it's okay that you are not meeting these standards. Because what ends up happening is the expectation gets internalized. And then you're like, well, I have to, again, cross everything off my list. So I am perfect. And that is my good day. Because I have had those good days, but they are rare and in be- like and far in between. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I really do wish that I had, you know, like what you said, like a parent or just any adult to sit down and say, hey, it is okay. You don't have to do X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, like you had an off day or, you know, like you gave 50% today, but that was 100% of what you could give. And I think that that would have been so helpful in um, helping me to relax when things were at a much lower stake, like when I was a kid, as opposed to to now where everything feels so big because I'm like, oh, this is my career. This is my job. This is, you know, uh, this is my relationship. This is going to be my husband. You know, like everything feels so much Mm -hmm. bigger um, now. But I I really do wish that I had parents. And I think this is the part where like the they in our podcast title comes in where now I have to undo what they did or what they didn't do. I have to now remind myself and sit myself down when like when that that negative self monologue starts back up I have to sit down and say Crystal it is okay you are human you do not need to be perfect all the time you gave 100% of what you could give you you know tomorrow's a new day and and really bringing bringing myself down um because those internalized expectations are so high and i will say i still struggle with being a perfectionist um and i'm still <laughs> trying to to kind of let let go of that but it's a work in progress and i will say i've i've made a lot of progress 
I'm very proud of the progress you have made. Also, I am in the same boat. And I it's funny, you call it a monologue. I like to call it a dialogue because it's two separate ideas. And the reality is that one of them is not mine. Ooh, um, yes. Maybe, yeah, there, one of them is not mine. And the other one really is what I want. But yo, the one that is not mine can pretend to be me so well. <laughs> and that is what creates conflict and anxiety within me. And I just, it, I have gotten better. I do want to say a little story of how I got better. So when I was really young and I got into a very long-term relationship at a very young age, and I think that for such a long time, I was just in it. I, I would say for maybe about five years out of the 10 years that we were together, I internally understood that he was not right for me. And nor, and I, I also knew that I had outgrown him, but I stood with him because yes, I cared for him, but I wasn't in love with him anymore. And I did it mainly for other people mm. because my mom loved him because everybody thought we'd have such beautiful kids because everybody thought, oh, they're going to have beautiful, you know, they're going to be so happy. I thought I had to live that life. And it was when I broke up with him and I, that was around when I was 25 that it hit me that I had to start living life for me. So if you really just think about it, it took me 25 years of my life to figure out that I had to start putting myself first. That does some damage to you. And undoing that damage is going to take work and is going to take energy. And it creates resentment too. Like, I'm not going to talk much about it, but it does create resentment. And it it's just a lot of energy being used on figuring out who you are when, you know, I'm not complaining, but we could have figured it out earlier on. Yeah. And we hope that for you listening to this podcast, that will help you um, on your own journey on figuring out who you are and how to stand up for that. But I think that a lot of what you mentioned in your story about your relationship that, you know, your mom loved him and you kind of like already knew how you felt inside, but there was all these external pressures reminds me of boundaries, to be honest. And I will say when people put their expectations on me and I, I'm aware, sometimes obviously people put their expectations on you and it's just so normal and it's such a part of life or you're kind of so caught up in something else, you don't really see it for what it is. Um, but I think that sometimes it's a little bit more explicit. And I think that's what the story reminded me of, of boundaries. And I know I'll speak for myself. I am terrible at uh, setting boundaries and maintaining them because I'm so nervous that I'm going to not meet other people's expectations and disappoint them. So I'm always constantly bending over backwards for other people. It's so funny because when you started talking about boundaries, the first thing that came to my head was, I don't notice my own boundaries. I notice other people's. So my automatic reaction is to please others. So essentially, I have no boundaries. And I'm always caught in this space where, especially with other people, where I think I'm doing it for them. And then it turns out it's way too much for me. And then I end up breaking down. It's like I'm being overused. And I'm really trying at this point in my life to undo that and stop myself before I say yes to something, before I a friend texts me and says, hey, can you talk? Like, listen, I talk to people all day. Maybe I can't talk to you right now. And that is okay. And that's why I call it, I call it a dialogue because one part of my head is like, yo, you fucked up. You're a horrible friend. You're not there. You're just really bad. And then the other part is like, yo, you're fucking tired. You are tired. Rest. And it's so hard to to choose the one that preserves your own sense of self and who you really want to be, especially 
at this point in time of my life. But I, I can imagine that a lot of women experience this as well. Because I don't know if we were taught to have boundaries. I, let me tell you, I definitely was not. Because <laughs> um, I think I, I I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, well, what are your boundaries? And I was like, I don't know what my boundaries are. And I was, they were saying, like, everyone has boundaries. And I was like, I have these boundaries. And like they were like, how did you establish these boundaries? I established these boundaries when someone crossed them. And I was like, oh, I didn't like that. So it was kind of like I had mm-hmm. to set the boundary after the fact because even growing up, like, no one told me what was okay and what was not okay and what was mine to own and what was not. So I feel like my boundaries almost feel reactive like I have to be in a situation to realize oh I don't like that or like that's not for me so I wonder like I see you know like the the people around me growing up you know like even my mom and stuff like that like I don't know I don't necessarily know that she has her own boundaries to have taught me what my boundaries are and things like that because I think growing up you know like you learn your value and you learn your worth and then you know, you can set boundaries like by that, you know, like I am very smart. So if you cut me off in the middle of me, um, you know, saying a sentence, I'm going to say, actually, I'm not done. Right. And like, that's kind of like, you're not going to interrupt me. You're not going to disrespect me. That's a boundary, right? It's a smaller boundary, of course. I don't want to say smaller, but there's other types of boundaries. There's physical boundaries, verbal boundaries, et cetera. But I, so at one point, you know, like you have to understand that what you have to say has value and has worth and all of these things. And I think that that was what was missing for me personally. Like, I don't think anyone told me that what I thought or, you know, who I was mattered enough for me to set boundaries. And like, I think because of what we said about expectations, you know, like you have to do this for your husband. Like no one ever said, but what does Crystal want to do? Um, so I think it was hard to set boundaries when no one told me my value and when there was so much emphasis on other people. That's interesting because for me, so I always got mixed messages. I grew up with a single mother. My mom was, is still to this day, the most strongest person that I know physically and emotionally. And she was such a badass when I was little, right? And she was fucking scary too. <laughs> But she always got shit done. You know, she always, if there was something needed, she got it. So I was always very, it was easy to depend on her for that. But then it was weird because when my stepfather came into my life, I was around 11 years old. I saw my mom do this interesting transition when a man comes Mm. in, you know, when a man starts to change the dynamic where she, I saw my mother do this interesting transition in her dynamic with us and even with him. She she was a completely different person. So sometimes I felt like, you know, why is she always doing certain things for him? Why is she not speaking up for herself? Why is she making me clean the house so much just because he wants it clean? And I think that really did affect me. And I, again, kind of how you said, I don't think she understood what she was doing. I think that these things are very cultural, mm-hmm. especially within uh, the Latinx community. Like my mom's Colombian and I do identify as Colombian. So you can, women are made to please men in the Colombian culture. I mean, you see it everywhere in our culture. So I, I do get why she didn't notice these things were happening. But as a child, I, I know for a fact I, I internalize those things because even now, like in my first relationship, oh my God, that showed up so much. Like I was like, what do you want? I'll clean for you. I'll cook for you. I'll do this because I wanted to be perfect for him. And I thought that's what you had to do, even though that wasn't necessarily my personality. I did the same shift my mom did. And now in my relationship, I have to stop myself. But yo, that is really, really hard because like I said, that dialogue 
can get real loud in your mind and it's just you and you and you and different parts of you and it it's confusing it's exhausting and when it does show up i feel guilty but then there's a part of me that kind of likes it because i don't know i i'm still trying to navigate what's mine what i'm okay with but it's it's really hard and confusing yeah i think the part of you that buckles under the boundary is the part of you again that wants to be liked and you saw like this is what my mother had to do to maintain this man and you obviously as as most humans want love you want to be in a relationship like you want to you know like we're we're humans being part of a community and being with others is is our nature and will always be our nature and i think the part of you that's like oh this felt kind of good is a part of you that's like i feel empowered i feel powerful like this feels good because setting those boundaries and maintain it. So setting the boundaries is one thing. I do want to kind of backtrack. Setting a boundary is one thing. The hard part for me is maintaining that boundary. And I think like when you yes. when you maintain, like when you see like I set this boundary and I'm going to stand up for it and I'm going to maintain it, like the part of you that feels good, I think is the part of you that that feels empowered. And I think sitting with those emotions of, you know, I feel empowered, but I'm scared is important. Like to just kind of like reflect on that and sit with that and explore that. But I, I'm encouraging you to go with the part of you that feels like a badass and be like, oh, I felt good. Um, because I think that's that's really the only way that we can set and maintain boundaries and truly live in who we are as individuals and, and as women. Because I've, I definitely feel like when a man sets a boundary, it is a lot easier for him to maintain it and no one questions it and everyone respects it. And I think that's the difference for women. When you maintain your boundary, you seem aggressive. You seem bitchy. No one, people don't like that. People don't like when they can't um, get one over on you. Yes, that is so true what you're saying in regards to men. I do want to talk about something with boundaries, but I do want to backtrack and say that I was saying, and that's fine because I do feel good when I uphold my boundaries, but I was also saying that I feel good when I do things for my man or mm. I, it's confusing, right? So it's, it's a very confusing thing because you want to be your own self and then you also want to be in a we, but the way we were taught to be in a we was please everybody else or please that other person, right? Right. Well, I was going to say um, in regards to that, it's an important distinction for you to bring up because I think sometimes when women, when we as women get empowered and we think like, I'm going to break these gender norms, I'm going to break out of this, I'm a feminist and, you know, like, blah, 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 all great. But I think that there does need to be some acknowledgement to say like, I, I personally do not want to, like, I I hate when in the expectation in my family is that we're at a party, we're at a gathering, and I have to set a plate for my man. First of all, this mofo got, uh, two, I don't have a man right now, but like in my mind, like in the past, I'm like, he has two. He's, a, he's already a mofo. Right. He's already a mofo. Like, I, I already see it. Let me stop. Let me not manifest that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like in the past, I'm like, he has two working legs. He has arms and hands that work. Like, he can get it himself. Like, I don't want to buckle into that pressure. But I think that there's also something to be said about the fact that there might be some gender norms. There might be some expectations that if that's, if you want to own that, if that makes you feel good as a woman, by all means, you want to serve your man, girl, serve your man, as long as it feels good to you. And like you owning what you wanted to own for yourself. I think the problem comes in when it's like, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to. That's where the problem comes in. So I just wanted to, I'm glad that you brought up that distinction because I think that, you know, you can still play into gender stereotypes as long as they're ones that you chose for yourself. And that's okay. Yeah, I think that that's important. I'm just going to reiterate what you said. 
choice, right? You choose these things. Once it's your own choice to do it, by all means, keep going because that's something that you're owning and that's something that you've thought out and you're aware of and you've, you know, you've done some introspective work. But until then, I I don't know if I'm okay with certain things being, I mean, I know I'm not okay with things being placed on us. That's where I draw the line. And, you know, that's a good example of creating boundaries, even though it's, re- it's really hard in practice. Yeah, it is really difficult. It's something that is still a work in progress. I think it's, for me personally, it's been a lot of uh, trial and error. I'm going to keep trying until there's minimal errors. There's never going to be no errors, but until there's minimal errors. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just just even that statement itself, the accepting that there's never going to be a time where you're not going to make a mistake, it, it alludes to this idea of perfection for me. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that a lot of women are placed under this microscope want and, you know, understanding that we're being observed and wanting to be perfect. But guess what? That's impossible. You hear all the time, you know, we're imperfect beings, but I don't think we feel that. And there's a difference between logically knowing something and hearing it, but then feeling like you should be something. Yeah, I will say, I think that's, um, I'm very good because I know that, because I know that people are not perfect. I'm very forgiving of others. And I'm like, well, give them a chance or she's not perfect or, you know, or he's not perfect or they're not perfect, whatever. Um, I want to extend that same understanding and compassion to myself. And I think when you're a perfectionist, it's really, uh, and I will say, I, I try not to be one, but it, it does, it does pop out, pop out. That perfectionist in me is like, oh. That's not up to your standard. Yeah. And the standard is I have to make sure that everyone else thinks this is great. And of course it feels, you know, like sometimes I'm like, okay, I have to distinguish like, am I doing this for other people or did this feel good enough to me? Um, But I think being a perfectionist to me sometimes does feel a little bit like an uphill battle because it, it you have to really distinguish what's yours and what's not. For me, this idea of perfection, yes, it comes up in beauty. I have gotten more lenient with certain things about myself. You know, like I actually eat food now. But I, I hit a point where I just was barely eating. But now in regards to my beauty and certain personal things, I have become more lenient with certain with being imperfect. But I have a huge, um, I have a lot of trouble doing it at work. Ooh, girl, and, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> and it's so weird because, yes, I am so aware that other people are observing me. I get nervous even when people who don't really matter are observing me. But then on the flip side, it's it's a weird conflict, right? Because on the flip side, I'm like, yo, because I'm a perfectionist, I do fucking good ass work. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to maintain this this work ethic that started off of trying to please others but then how do you let that go when trying to please others is not effective for you like how, how do you split the two right yeah it's it's really difficult I know um and this is not me even trying to brag this is more for the sake of an example over the summer I won um the emerging leader award at my job and I will say like the effects of COVID really started to to hit me. And then also just like the climate of the country, like in the middle of Black Lives Matter. I think it was all affecting me and I wasn't performing at work. And I was convinced 
that I was going to be fired. Because they oh, they were like, oh, she won the Emerging Leader Award. Now she thinks she don't got to do shit. Like, let's show her. <laughs> that was that was my, my inner monologue. Because for me, I, well, the dialogue comes in with me being self-compassionate. But like the, the inner voice is that was what it was. And I think that I remember having a conversation with my boss and I said, you know, I'm going to start this initiative, that initiative. And I was like, and and I'm trying to start this, but this hasn't, this hasn't launched. And, and I was like, I was trying to make up an excuse, something that felt valid to justify the fact that I was not being perfect. And I remember my boss said, that's okay. If it launches at this time, then it launches at that time. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. no like I said I was gonna do this and I'm the emerging leader and I need to do this and it's it's so hard um work is definitely the place where my perfectionism comes up the most for sure so it's funny because when I, I mean I'm different I'll still have some residual like damn did they mean that are they lying to me is this a trap but I love when I hear somebody validate me and I think that's what I have especially at work I have the biggest problem then, right? It's that conflict comes up again because, yo, I don't, I'm so tired of looking for other people to validate me for me to understand that my work is good. Like, yo, like mm-hmm. I'm not trying to to any kind of horn here. Although like, listen, I am good at my job. And what is my job? I can spot out behavioral patterns real fast. Mm-hmm. I can organize and make sense of things that certain people can't make sense of. I'm very skilled in that. And I'm confident in that. But when I'm in a room filled with people assessing me, I don't know where that confidence goes. And so I'm really tired of letting that go when other people are involved just because I'm so used to being validated. I I think it's something I'm really, really trying to work on. But I'm a little... So I've grown resentful because ever since I noticed this pattern, I've also noticed that men don't show up like that. Oof. Like they don't feel... Like and I and I'm not trying to start any kind of battle right now, but you know, if a man tries his all, he knows he gave a hundred percent and he's good with that. But like, yo, a woman will think about, oh, what didn't I do? Are they okay with that? Like I remember one time I sent out an email asking people to forward the email. And I sent it out to males. And for some reason, they expected me to do the task that I had asked them to do, which blew <laughs> my mind because I was just like, Wow, what? How beautiful. It would be to live in that head of yours because that is not how my mind would work. My mind would be like, oh, they asked me to do it. Okay, I'm going to get it right, done right away because I don't like disappointing people. Right. But the fact that they were like, oh, can you do it? When I text them, you know, on the side, I was like, what? I just asked you to do it. Like, what? I was so confused. But it also showed me like that's just one simple example of how I don't think the worry and the pressure of pleasing people is always on a man's mind. I mean, I think that when it comes to to being a woman, like I always think about job, like when I was job searching and I was like, I don't meet this qualification. I don't meet that qualification. I don't meet that qualification. And a man, you know, like they, I mean, any, any woman has probably heard this, like a man will be like, I have two out of five qualifications. I am applying. I'm like, I have four out of five qualifications. I'm not qualified enough. And that is literally yeah. the message that we have received. And even just thinking about we get paid less than men. Um, we, you know, don't negotiate our salaries as much as men. When we go into a room and we ask for 
a raise or a promotion and things like that. We, you know, like the discrepancies don't come out of nowhere. There are a lot of times where women do not get the same opportunities as men and do have to work twice as hard. So I think that it's a little bit of what society has taught women because it is harder for a woman to be in the workplace and to expect the same respect and break those glass ceilings. But I also do think that it comes from a place of wanting to be validated and it's also internal. And what you bring internally into the workplace will play itself out. Um, Whether you were someone who, you know, growing up was validated, was told you were great, you know, like you, you didn't have all of these Um, messages that made you feel conflicted, I think like you'll still face those challenges in the workplace. But I think as I'll speak for myself as someone who, you know, was not made to understand their worth. I think that when I go into a situation at work where now, you know, someone is like, you know, like it's already understood that women's worth is kind of questioned. It does make it a little bit more difficult uh, to to show up and kind of break through um, to prove my yeah. worth and 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 seeking that validation helps to you know like be like okay yes I am worth it I am worth it I am worth it because I'm trying so hard to believe it yes and I don't think it's necessarily that people are showing up like oh she's a woman so she'll do more I think it's again it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. it's so embedded in our culture right like why so for example like this is silly and it's not work but I remember being a student like so if you technically think about it that's my job but I don't know. It was so weird. I walked into a class one time and my male professor literally stopped me. The whole class was sitting down and I was there. Who knows? Maybe he thought about having coffee at that moment. Maybe, I don't know, seeing me, he felt comfortable enough to tell me to go get him his coffee. Mm. Right. And I was just a fucking student. But these are things that you experience in the workplace as a woman. Oh, can you handle this? Something, you know, more emotional, something more soft, um, even though our job is emotions. But just talking about that, like our job, our field is predominantly women. And why is that? Yeah. And but then when you get to leadership, it's men in a lot of exactly. mental health professionals. So I like and in a lot of mental health professions. Sorry. So, yeah, I think like just even that message alone says a lot. Exactly. So I do think it's larger than us. It is something that, you know, in the, on an individual level, you have to actively undo and, you know, figure out if you're okay with. And just it's just a lot of work, but it's not impossible. I agree. And I think what I will say is we, t- we talked about a few different topics. I feel like we went from beauty all the way to work. I feel like I grew up, like I went through my life <laughs> and I grew up in this conversation from when I was a child to, to now. So, but I think I will say, how do you... And we've we've touched on it a little bit. Like, what do you think being a woman, how do you think that's affected you in your life and how you show up? Like, what is what is the takeaway after this conversation? It's weird, right? Because it's split and it on one end, it's hard that I went through it. So but on the other end, I'm like, I'm glad I went through it because now I can unlearn certain things. I think being a woman in my life, the way it showed up, it's, you know, I'm going to talk about beauty again. It definitely has caused me, I too had an eating disorder. It's caused me to do things to myself and to my body that literally surpass any kind of boundary I I could have had. It's caused me to make questionable decisions. It's caused me to get paid less. I remember, you know, starting in this field, I was working full time, seeing almost 55 clients a week. And I was getting paid like almost $30,000 a year. How I survived that year, I have no idea. But I don't think any man in his right mind would ever take that 
because for me, it was just like, well, I got to work my way up. But it's like, why do I always have to start from the bottom? It definitely has affected my, self, my sense of self-esteem 100% because it's it's real messy up here in my mind. And it can even fit – like I will admit that it has even changed how I can physically see myself sometimes. I don't know what it's like to be anything but a woman and but myself. So, uh, I think being a woman has presented itself with many, many challenges. I think that life is pretty – or at least for me has been pretty difficult – to navigate and then you add all of these expectations and it can create for a lot of inner conflicts. And I think that being a woman has not helped the other inner conflicts that have developed themselves. Um, I've experienced a lot of trauma, which we didn't talk about today. Uh, So I don't think that being a woman has helped because I think that, again, those expectations and the ways that you're small and the way that society uh, values women as opposed to how they value men, can add additional factors that just feel unnecessary. And at the same time, I think there's so much beauty to being a woman. Uh, We didn't talk about this because it's not relevant to us, but, you know, like childbirth and being a mother and being a caretaker. And I think that lately we've seen a lot of examples where women have really risen to the challenge and showed up and have been resilient through very difficult and challenging times. And I think that's the, that, even though we have so many challenges, I think it makes for a really badass fucking person when you have to deal with these things every day. Um, so as as much as it has been challenging, I would never, ever, ever give up being a woman for being a man. Also, I love being cute. I, <laughs> I love hair. I love makeup. I love dresses. Uh, high heels. They they don't like me, but I like them. Um, <laughs> I love, love, love being a woman. Um, but that was our episode. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. Please uh, let us know what you thought about this episode, whether you are a woman or not. Uh, however you identify, we would love to hear what this conversation brought up for you. Have you faced similar challenges? What are the other challenges that we didn't discuss today that you have faced? Uh, you can definitely follow us on Instagram at NeverToldUsPod or send us an email at NeverToldUsPod at gmail.com. And make sure to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.